Hey everyone, welcome to another week of the Storm Report. I'm your host, Neil. This week, we're jumping back over to the American football side of things after hearing from our football teams last week. Jack Freeman is hopping back on with us as he breaks down the massive win over former coach Taylor and the Stanford Cardinal, followed up by the Hornets' tough trip up north to visit a tough Idaho Vandals team. So make sure your AirPods are fully charged because we got a good one for you today. And joining us again is our sports editor, Jack Freeman, who had the opportunity to head down to Stanford for that big upset against Sac State. Jack, welcome back. And dude, that must have been awesome. How was that? It's good to be back. Thank you. Um, it was awesome, man. I mean, that's a bougie campus. Their, their press box is fancy. They got a whole uh, kitchen staff in the press box making food for us. It was like nothing I'd never seen before. Not like, not like Sac State. So um, pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Little different school budgets, I think. Little bit, little bit. They had like office chairs embroidered with the with the logo. Oh, it was uh, even a little over the top. I thought a little bit. That must have been fun to do, though. Kind of feel like a professional for a bit. It was. It was good. Awesome. All right, now let's jump into the game because it was an awesome game. Man, Caden Bennett was on fire in that upset win, right? I mean, he just seemed so cool under pressure. Can you dive into what kind of leadership he displayed out there and how it helped Sac State knock off Stanford? Yeah, I mean, this guy was fired up, and you could just tell that his teammates were feeding off that. I mean, he scored a touchdown early on to cut the lead to, like, four, and he was over there pointing at Troy Taylor at the sideline. You could just tell this team was fired up, and he was making so many plays, getting out of the pocket, finding his guys. You could just tell that they were feeding off that, you know. Once things got rolling on that offense, they didn't really stop. Sounds like he and the offense really got in the zone. Yeah, he, he was in the zone, and when your quarterback's in the zone, it's hard for your offense weapons to not play well because, you know, they're getting the ball right in the hands, and they all wanted to make plays just as much as he did. That was a huge game for them playing against Troy Taylor. I'm glad they got their revenge against them. Let's talk about Sac State's defense. They really stepped it up, especially after that surprise onside kick by Stanford. How did they manage to bounce back and stop the Cardinal offense? And can you break down some of the game plan and adjustments they made? Big boys up front, they were eaten. You go back that third, fourth quarter, Stanford had a lot of success running the ball in the first half. In the second half, they were trying these deep shots, and they were getting a few here and there, but they were really inconsistent, and that's because the defensive line was living in that backfield. They were sending blitzes. I mean, I think they had like five or six sacks. I mean, you do that, you can stop any offense. You know, that game had some pretty intense moments, like that third and sixth play that ended up being the game-winning touchdown. Can you walk us through that play and talk about how the team prepares for those types of situations? They prepare on these type of like two-minute must-get-points drives. Every Wednesday, they go out to the field. Coach Thompson puts the clock on the scoreboard. He gives them a scenario, and they play it out like it's real. You know, like They don't hit each other, but that's as real. That's a game scenario, and he says it's really important that his players get that time. And you can kind of see that where... This play is out of structure. This is not a play that they drew up. They didn't draw up Caden Bennett, you know, running back and spinning, and then all of a sudden, Fulcher's wide open. This is not drawn up. That's kind of something that Caden Bennett specializes in, and that's something that Marcus Fulcher specializes in as well. But yeah, I think it's not as much preparation as it is like these guys know what they have to do in that moment, and then it's trusting your guys to go and make a play like that. And they do, and they did. And you talked about Bennett being hot earlier on and, you know, like the play with Fulcher, guys get hot as well. You know, he got the hot hand, got the ball and took off down the sideline and that was history. 
Coach Thompson was really big on improving those third downs, and the Hornets converted 11 out of 16. What did they do differently to make those third down conversions more successful and impact the momentum of the game? Again, I don't know if they made any substantial changes. I just think it's guys making plays. You go back and look at it, Caden Bennett was just so good at this game about keeping his eyes downfield when he's on the run, when he's under pressure, and finding the open guy and getting it to him. There were a few plays, kind of like the game-winning touchdown. There was like a fourth and two in Stanford territory. They went for it. It was just a simple shotgun rollout, and all of a sudden he's getting chased down by two Cardinal defenders, and it looks like this play is over, and this is a pretty critical play. All of a sudden, Bennett keeps his eyes downfield and just puts perfect touch on a ball to Devin Gandy and keeps that drive alive. It was plays like that that it seemed like Bennett just kept finding open guys. There was just always somebody open that it kept them efficient on third down. It wasn't really a scheme change, I don't think. It was just better execution. It sounds like effort, too. The guys just wanted it more, and that's awesome. Yeah, and those efficiencies, I mean, they they only won. This is a one-score game. It's 30-23, to 23, and those are the type of plays that make or break um, um, these types of games. When you go for it on fourth down, when you have a third and long, it's easy to, to not make that play. It's very easy. You punt it back. Okay, now you got to trust your defense. And so the Hornets rode that momentum from last week's upset up to Idaho this last weekend, but the game did not go as they'd hoped. The Hornets had just tied it up with under five minutes to go, and then boom, Idaho's Jermaine Jackson goes off for that kick return. How big of a deal was that return, and how did it swing the game back in the favor of the Vandals leading to their win? Well, the kickoff return is obviously huge. Um, you look at it, they get the ball in Hornet territory after the kickoff return and a flag, and that's self-inflicted wounds on the part of the Hornets. The reason it was so significant is more self-inflicted wounds because earlier in the half, the Hornets had to take two timeouts to avoid pre-snap penalties, both delay of games. They weren't getting the line. They weren't getting the play call off. And all because of those compounding errors, you can't get a playoff here. You got to use a timeout. You know, you get a penalty here. All of a sudden... Not only do they start the game-winning drive in Hornet territory, but also the Hornets can only stop the clock once. And that's just not going to do it. There's no two-minute warning in college football. That's what allowed Idaho to just run the ball down their throats because they didn't have to throw it. They didn't have to worry about the clock stopping and the Hornets getting the ball back. Once they got it there, it was pretty much all but over. Self-inflicted wounds will always kill a team. Those will always come back to bite you at the end of the game. It's inevitable. And it, you know, got to learn your lesson from it. The offense kind of struggled this game. Caden Bennett had some flashy moments, but there were also some yeesh moments, especially in the passing game. What kind of challenges was he up against with Idaho's defense, and how did these hurdles affect how the Hornets were moving the ball down the field during the game? You know, during that Stanford game, I think I tweeted it out, he, were, he was reminding me a lot of, like, prime Russell Wilson. I mean, there was pressure in his face. It didn't matter. He was going to float a ball down the field. He was going to hit a deep shot when he needed to. It was a play had to be made, and he made it, and against Idaho— it looked like 2021 Russ. He was under a lot of pressure, and he made crucial mistakes. You know, he was spinning out of sacks and taking— I think he took like a 16-yard sack because he just was trying to make something happen. Going down the field, missing easy shots over the middle, stuff like that, uh, you just can't do. You just can't win with something like that. And credit to Idaho, they stopped the run really well, which made this the Hornet offense really one-dimensional. And when the defense knows that you're going to throw the ball and the defensive line is eating— there's not much a quarterback can really do. He had chances, don't get me wrong, and what we saw at Stanford proves to me he can make plays in those scenarios, 
so probably a winnable game, but he just didn't, and that's really what led this team to lose that game. When those DNs can pin their ears back and go after you, it's it's going to be difficult. Sac State's defense had its moments, but they had a tough time stopping the run. What do you think Idaho did to take advantage of that and give their rushing game a boost? And were there any moves the Hornets could have made to try and slow down Idaho's ground attack? Idaho's offense is really, really dynamic. They've got a talented wide receiving core. Their quarterback is excellent. And so kind of going into this game, everybody kind of thought, okay, Sac State just has to stop the deep pass. They have to stop the deep pass, and they have to contain Giovanni McCoy, who's the um, Idaho quarterback. And Idaho just kind of flipped it on its head that said, okay, if you want to, you know, play QB spy or man-to-man, we're just going to run the ball. We're just going to run the ball at you and at you. And it was working. Those Idaho offensive linemen, I mean, there were gaps. There were gigantic gaps. That's just a scenario where you've got an offense who can kind of do it all, and it's hard to stop. They made the plays that, to give their offense an opportunity. When your offense struggles, you can't stop a dynamic offense like that forever. With that said, it wasn't ideal. There were like three drives where it was like run, 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 deep shot, and it worked. I mean, it was just the same stuff that was killing them, but there isn't a lot you can do when that Idaho offense is so dynamic. They can really hurt you in every way. When things are just working, things are working, and it sounds like they kind of had that luck on Saturday. With this loss to Idaho, it's got some pretty big implications, right? I mean, the Hornets now lose the tiebreaker in the Big Sky Conference, and that could really shake things up for their quest to win another Big Sky championship. Can you dive into why this game was such a pivotal one in context of their title hopes and what kind of challenges they might be looking at now? Well, what this does is it puts even more pressure when Montana State comes to Sacramento. Because Montana State is really the favorite to win the Big Sky Conference. They've been number one in the preseason polls. In the Big Sky preseason polls, I should say. They've been the favorite to win the conference. So it puts even more pressure on that game. Because if you can beat Montana State, that this Idaho loss doesn't matter. You know What it does do is they've lost their destiny in the conference. If they can't beat Montana State, all of a sudden you need Montana State to go to Idaho and beat them. So you can kind of like even out that record. You know, you're going to need an upset with Idaho. And this Big Sky conference is really deep. You know, you've got NAU uh, who just upset Montana. Sac State has to play them, and they have to play Montana, you know? There are not many games in the conference where, you know, you can be like, okay, this is going to be a blowout. There are, like, two on Sac State's schedule, and they've got to play, like, six, seven more games. So it really makes every game really, really critical. Speaking of, Sac State's got Northern Arizona up next, right? And NAU just pulled off an upset against number 13, Montana. How do you think the Hornets are getting ready for this one, especially with how competitive the Big Sky is this season? And any thoughts on what they need to tweak or do better to snag a win? Well, they're going to have to bounce back. You know, NAU is not as strong of an opponent as Idaho. They're, uh, Sac State's coming home. They're going to be playing with a lot of fire. I think that they'll probably win this game. You know, NAU is probably going to have that upset hangover. With that said, I think it does put a little more pressure on this game now that Sac State's lost to Idaho. Because you can't afford a loss to NAU. You do that, you can kiss your hopes of the Big Sky Conference championship goodbye. And so really what it's going to come down to is they need to have a really good week in practice. They need to stay positive. They need to put Idaho behind them. Because you know that that wasn't your best. Your best was Stanford. Your best wasn't Idaho. And you've got to bring your best for the next six games. Hopefully NAU has the same hangover that Sac State did last weekend. Jack, thanks for coming on. Are you going to be at the game on Saturday? Of course, of course. Awesome. If you see Jack there, make sure to say hi to him. Thanks again for coming on, man. Happy to be here. And that wraps up our episode for this week. Thank you again for listening. We really appreciate it. Tune in next week for more Hornet sports. And remember, 
be a friend and tell a friend.